Welcome back, everyone, to the Flow Track Podcast. I'm Kevin Sully, joined by Gordon Mack. This is the Oslo Recap Podcast. We wondered, Gordon, how would Carson Warholm respond to Ry Benjamin beating his PB and moving to number two all time and almost breaking the world record, getting that close to the world record in Eugene? And we just saw. We just saw world record 46.70 flat. He. Every, he's not slowing down. And with the more that the competition keeps getting closer to him, like Ry Benjamin running out of his mind, you feel like Benjamin probably could have gone even faster in uh, Eugene. But just come up, this is his season opener in the 400 hurdles. It's not like he's worked his way into shape, into peak fitness. This is his first 400 hurdles of the season. He freaking breaks the world record. I don't know if that's ever been – has anyone ever broken a world record in the first – attempt at that event in that season it's it's incredible well he ran the 300 meter hurdles this year and okay. ran the fastest time in history in that event too listen this has been a possibility in this event since about 2018 we've been talking about it with samba when he broke 47 seconds and then 2019 benjamin and warholm joined the party and then 2020 a lot of people didn't run but warholm kept running and he kept getting closer and closer, even in situations where we didn't think a world record would be in play. Like he'd run a race where there'd be no fans in the stands, there'd be no competition. You'd think, no, no, no. He needs something to get him going. He needs something to put him over the top to run a world record. He can't run this fast without anybody there. And today, I guess, was just enough because he had fans in the stands. Didn't ha had a little bit of competition, but not too much. Kept one person to his outside. I remember, Gordon, you've been you've been making fun of me the last like a year or so you keep you're like you keep saying there's me a world record keep saying there's me a world record you've been accusing me of bait and switch and finally finally it happened it took a while you're right it did take a while yeah and i was surprised i did not expect it to happen i thought hey he's you know like season opener of the event he's probably gonna run a good time maybe a 46 high 47 low but i did not expect him to go all out into world record territory and i even made a a side comment i was watching it with jojo on the couch and right before he started like he's in his home crowd right he's in norway so yeah. he does a, a loud ass like yell and scream and muscle flex and a lot of tension in the face and i'm thinking like is he using up too much energy in his like pre pre-race like pump up because he's like you want your body to kind of feel your muscles relax you don't want a lot of tension but he was not him not him. Not him. He was able to handle it and 46.70, man. It's like no other. And I was also saying, we were thinking potentially, you were thinking at least, potentially world record attempt in 2020, but it's better he did it in 2021 oh, because that was an empty stadium. This had a full mm -hmm. stadium. So yes. fate told him like, nah, sorry, we're not going to let you break this record in front of nobody. We got to make sure you wait till people are there to visually see it. So that was cool. No, I agree with you because if there's one person in track and field right now who feeds off of the crowd and by extension gives the crowd get something to get excited about, it's Carson Warholm because of precisely the pre-race routine that you've seen and the post-race celebration. I don't have the feet up anymore. I'm assuming he's already on a Viking ship somewhere within the stadium <laughs> at this point. And it's fitting. You're right. Does it at home, gets to do it in Norway and gets to do it with fans 
in the crowd. And as soon as the gun went off, Gordon, did you hear how loud it got? It was amazing. I mean, there have been some other good performances throughout this Diamond League meet. But as soon as the gun went off, it was instant noise there. I thought, you're right, it would come later when him and Benjamin or him and Samba and Benjamin or there was a greater collection of talent in a race. But that's just unrealistic. These guys are too good. They don't need anybody else to help them get there. Now, when they get there, I think we're going to see something epic because I don't think we've heard the last – I don't think Ryan Benjamin's season's best is going to be run at the trials. I don't think he peaked in Eugene. I'll say that. I'm excited for the response. Yeah, and uh, also big shout out for Allison Dos Santos, who mm-hmm. low key ran forty seven three. We talk about you know the big three of Warholm, Benjamin, and uh, can't believe Samba. Uh, Samba out of guitar. Maybe uh, Dos Santos can potentially now become a metal threat with his forty seven three. Obviously, though, no one's really talking about that. We're all talking about forty six seven flat. They said it's the oldest track record to be broken, right? It was the last standing. Right. So, mm-hmm. so I guess what's the oldest track record men's now? Side. Do, on uh, the men's side. Nick, Nick Zaccardi just posted that. I think it is now Heacham El Garouge's 1500 from 1998. That's the oldest standing men's individual track event. Men's so, track, track event, yeah. I feel like that – I mean that, that record's hard to be broken because it's a mile. Well, we – we thought it would be possible this year, but now with Chariot yeah. getting hurt, I don't know. Maybe Wait, so is the mile the 1,500? Mile, it's 1,500. Right? He's talking oh, about okay. 1,500. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Sorry, I yeah. thought I heard mile. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we could. I, I think Ingebrigtsen could be potential breaker of that mm-hmm. in the next three years, four years. I could see that. Could you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a possibility. I mean, you saw – in the mile of the day, just how deep it was. You had Mick Swain running three, three forty-eight. I mean, the whole event is is pretty deep right now. There's a lot of people who are willing to take risks and push the pace. But yeah, in terms of this event, Monaco in the beginning of July. Like, I know I'm going to be out uh, next couple of weeks, Gordon. I might, I'm going to reschedule some. Th- I got to see Monaco. The start lists are insane. I, I'm surprised <laughs> every year. I should stop being surprised by how good the start lists are at Monaco. But right now, it's Benjamin v Warholm. So if they run that race and then they run in Tokyo, we're going to get to see them at least two times this year. And this event just keeps finding ways to outdo itself. It's so much fun. Uh, Men's and women's formula hurdles. Fast forward to that Monaco race. Do you think there's any mental strategic move on that, that race that you can kind of use to kind of take an advantage of the rematch that will come in Tokyo? Because do you want to hold some cards? Like, do you want to – like, how do you approach that matchup? Because obviously we know Benjamin Warholm, they're the favorites. One of them is going to win Olympic gold. They both – even though Warholm technically has run faster, you could say they're at the same fitness level, 46-7. What, what did Benjamin run? 46-7-8, wasn't it? Uh, 80, or, 83, right? 83. So mm-hmm. potato, potato, it's a couple tenths of a second. They're the same. So <laughs> – does winning the Monaco matchup, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Because then the person who got second is going to be more motivated. I don't like, do you want to like not show a move? I'm trying to overthink it. I mean, it is just a track race, but I'm trying to create it into some like you're playing a, a football team week 17, you know, and then you have them, you play them again in the first round of the playoffs. You're not going to 
play your starting quarterback because you don't want to give away your game plan. Is there like a okay. sportsmanship of not giving away your race plan in this Monaco race, you think? <laughs> I think they're both aware of each other's races. I mean, let's be clear. Warholm 2-0 and against Benjamin all time. So I think that Benjamin want to win just going into Tokyo. Would he rather win in Tokyo than win in Monaco? Of course. But I think it would help for him to get a victory against this guy because uh, he hasn't been able to to win. In terms of Warholm, he strikes me as the type of guy who has one speed and one gear, and it's absolute destruction from the get-go. Like he doesn't really – like he would be the guy, if to extend your football analogy, in week 16 or 17 of the NFL, his team's up uh, like in the play. They've already clinched home field advantage, and he's like keeping his starters in in the fourth quarter trying to beat – the Browns 49, nothing. That's basically the, the equivalent of Carson Warholm in the four meter hurdles. Like, I don't think he knows how to tap the brakes at all. So I think he's going to go for it all in Monaco and he's going to recoup a couple weeks later and go for everything in Tokyo. I want, I think he wants to keep, keep doing this. He's probably thinking sub, you know, 46, five. He's probably thinking, put this thing out of reach for, for this generation of guys. So I'm, I'm guessing Warholm gets to pick his lane first. And then Benjamin gets second choice. <laughs> so that is funny that you mentioned that because Otto made a point today of like Benjamin picked his la- or Warholm picked his lane and he picked seven, right? Which is interesting because last year there were some meets where he was all the way in the outside. I guess you're right though. You have to defer to the guy who's number one in history versus the guy who's number three in history. Uh, and that matters, the four hurdles, as we've seen with on the women's side inside versus outside getting to see your competition for sure. Yeah. Do you think there could be, what if like Warholm's like, you, you mentioned how uh, Benjamin is 0-2 against Warholm. Mm-hmm. Maybe Warholm pulls a move. like, I'm not even going to let you have a chance of beating me. Yeah. So I'm going to run the 400 flat. Why are you encouraging you... this? No, no. And then, no, and then no, you no, run no, the 400 no, no, no. and then, you know, it's just like, hey man, you, you know, just don't give him the benefit. Don't give him a, no, don't say that. Don't say that. Please don't the, say that. Warham's been on this okay. podcast. He probably doesn't yeah. listen, but he's been on this podcast, <laughs> so he at least knows at some part in his brain, he knows it exists. If he stumbles on it and hears what you just said and is like, takes your advice, <laughs> I don't know why the hell he'd do that. But if he did and he, and he scratches, that would be a, a tragedy for, for track and field. So, no, I want him running both. This is what we want. We don't want this whole, like, they're only going to race once a year and that's it. And let's put yeah, everything I know, on. I know. I know. In, and in 2019, the first time they met, that was in Zurich. That was when Warholm ran 46.92 and Benjamin ran 46.98. So that was an absolute classic. When they met again in Doha, it wasn't as fast, but it was still a pretty damn good race. It was separated only by you know, a quarter of a second there. So both guys have showed that they don't obviously back down from, from the challenge and it brings the most out of them. I want to see a McLaughlin Muhammad type combo here, though. That's what I want to see when they race against each other. I want to see it go to new heights, and I think it, I think it can. It's fun too because the styles are totally different. Warholm runs like the first two hundred. I don't know. He could probably qualify in like the flat two hundred with his first two hundred in these in these Formula Hero races. Rise a little bit more methodical, and he closes hard. So it's fun just to watch the contrast in styles as well, too. So. You know, I got to say, 
when you said, hey, let's do an Oslo recap pod, I was kind of nervous. It's like, what if nothing happens? And you said, Warholm's running. I said, okay, well, fingers crossed. He delivered, though. He did. Thank you, Carson. Uh, Thank you. Well, we we thought we would also have uh, Jacob Ingebrigtsen in that mile, but he pulled out yep. due to sickness. Mm-hmm. Should that be a sign of concern for you if he's not able to compete here a month out from the Olympics? Well, I think you'd rather not be sick than be sick. But if it's just a regular illness, it's not not the worst thing, especially if Chariot's not going to be in there. But McSwain looks really good. Australia in general looks really solid, just like Great Britain looks really solid. I mean, the U.S. obviously, we saw what they did in in their trials, not to mention, again, the 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 Kenyan contingent. So, yeah, I'd be a little concerned if I was an Ingebrigtsen fan, but um, probably erring on the side of caution here. I'm sure he really wanted to race at home, but, I mean, it's coming up fast, right? The men's – let's see, the men's 1,500-meter final, Gordon, is on day <laughs> – Man, when is I got my schedule? Hold up, hold up. I got it for you right here. It is. Oh man, it's failing me right now. No, Yo, you're not doing a good job. You're supposed to have this memorized. Oh, no, last day, day ninth. Oh. Day nine. Day okay. Nine, day nine. Uh, second day last day. It's on day ninth. Day nine, August eighth. It's on August eighth. So if he runs the fifteen hundred, which we think he will, he's gonna he's gonna have a little bit more time now if he runs the. The 5K. Yeah, he's going to get things going probably around day five. So August the August the 4th for, for both those events, actually, regardless of what he runs. So he's got a month and a few days to get ready. What did you think of McSwain's race and, and the 348 there? Uh, I was impressed. I think it's a sign of the barriers just keep on getting lower and lower. I mean, we saw fast – not to discredit what McSwain's doing, what he's doing is incredible – um, but we're going to make normal, it, it, we're, we're slowly going to normalize sub 350 at the elite level. I mean, we had college kids running 350. They mm-hmm. end up being actually better than typical college kids because he went fourth and first at the, um, Olympic trials, but in Cooper tier and Cole Hawker, for those who don't know what I'm talking about anyway, but I do think 348 is going to be the new, like sub 355. It's just. Everything is shifting faster. And I'm just super impressed with the contingent in Australia because yeah, if gun to your head, you said who is the best Australian miler, you say it's Oliver Hoare based on what he's been doing in competitive races. And now mm-hmm. someone who not named Oliver Hoare is running 348. So then you're thinking like, wait a minute, how good is Oliver Hoare now? Like, is he even, mm-hmm. is he a 346 guy? Like, maybe not. Maybe Ollie's just better at, you know, the, the tactical type races. But see McSwain went 348, and the guy who finished third was 350 from Australia Jai as Edwards. well. Yeah. Jai Edwards. So Edwards, McSwain, and Hoare is a hell of a, a team yeah. to be in well, if, if that's the team that goes to Tokyo. Well, yeah, and you put that with Great Britain's team as well, as I mentioned, Kenyan's team. Kenya's team, you have the U.S. squad. You got, I mean, I'm sure there's other Ingebrigtsen, right? There's people uh, that we're not even discussing that are going to be in the mix. When I see 348, for some reason, I think it's faster. It seems faster than a 331, 1500, even though they convert to roughly the same time. Do you do the same thing in your head? 
Yeah, because we don't see as many we don't see as many miles run, and so a majority of them run indoors. So that naturally is going to be slower times. So whenever we see three, four, something, anything, we think it's all time worldly, but in reality, it's just like running three thirty one, three thirty two. It's we for some reason we think three twenty nine is the same thing as three forty nine, and they're not. Like we, that's how we, our brains just don't know how to adjust yeah. because when you see a sub three thirty, you think, whoa, that's, that's pretty good. That's all time type, like, whoa, sub yeah, 330. Yeah. And I yeah. think we just do sub three fifty as that, but it really should be more like sub three thirty is really like a sub three forty seven. Mm-hmm. But we that's just, not as round. You know, it's not as fun. It's not as round. It's not as fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, someone in the chat also mentioned McLuffy. Yeah, we do not know where McLuffy is, but he usually will show up. He will show up uh, in major championships. Uh, do you want to talk now about the women's 800? Kate Grace. Yeah, Kate Grace. Full on, full on redemption mode, just takes a bat to her PB, was seventh at trials, goes out, runs 157.59, uh, number nine. American in history just ran like someone who has absolutely nothing to lose over that last 200 beat the world champion uh, Halima Nakai of Uganda in the process. She's only been in Norway. Like she just flew right after the trials trials did not end that long ago. That's not that short of a trip. There was every reason for her to struggle in this first race over there. But uh, yeah, I think it just demonstrates what you can do when, when the pressure's off, the fitness is there and you don't really have any sort of expectations going in a race whether or not she got first or last, right? Just, it was just about the experience of racing and she took full advantage of that. Yeah, it reminded me of, uh, I went to Europe a few years ago. Um, and it's always interesting when you're in Europe after USA's and you see a lot of athletes who aren't on the world team, but they're out there on the Diamond League circuit, the smaller mm. race circuit. And you kind of see what like what their vibe is like, because it's like, well, they built up all this fitness. You build up all this fitness and you don't want to like waste it just because you're not going to the big dance, AKA worlds or Olympics. You want to do something with it. And mm-hmm. so a lot of times the opposite, you think, you think not making a team is going to make you want to just like react negatively and kind of just like get out of shape. But in a, in a weird way, it kind of says, well, I have nothing else to like care about. I might as yeah. well make these next two and a half months worth something. And that's where you get a lot of PBs. Uh, Molly Beckwith, uh, after I think she got fourth at a trials or something like that, she goes out and runs 158 in Paris. And I was like, mm-hmm. she was like a 159 runner the entire her entire career. And then she runs 158 yeah. that one time. It kind of reminds me of this with Kate Grace. She's like continuously 159, 158, and now just had a big breakthrough with not just running a PB, an all-time top 10 mark in the U.S. history, but also winning a competitive race that had the literal defending world champion in it. So mm-hmm. it's not like she beat a bunch of two flat college kids. She beat the world champion. So it means more than that. And, hey, I'm going to say this. Mm-hmm. Why oh, no. is Please top – I'm going to say it. Why is top three – are we talking about three Olympic why, trials again? Why is, no, 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 no. Why, why is a country only allowed to send three people? Are we really doing this right now? I, we are doing it. Why? Like, what, what's, the, what's the reason? Are we, are we truly crowning? I mean, 
I guess technically, if you couldn't be top three in your country, that means the best you would have been at Worlds is fourth. But the idea that, like, I mean, I was looking at some descending order list, and you see people who will be like the hundredth best athlete who now gets to go to the Olympics because there were twenty Kenyans ahead of them, there were like ten British athletes ahead of them, like fifteen U.S. athletes, and it's like. Yeah, but this is the, think... this isn't new. This isn't new. This has been going on forever. And you could play the same game to keep American athletes out of events too, especially in decades past when the U.S. was not that does, strong. Does the, the ma- does the mass does the Wimbledon say only three can come? Does the Masters say only three Americans can come? Do uh... no, but tennis tennis at the Olympics does, and that's what this is. This is the Olympics, so that you should compare the Olympics to the Olympics. The U.S. doesn't enter three basketball teams. In the Olympics, and they can't enter ten tennis players and have Italy enter one. It's the Olympics. I get but what you're saying. It's not Olympics. Olympics. So it's it, the, the world the, championship. No, you can't you, say you, that. World championship. You should. You should. Yeah, you should be complaining about this for the world championships. But that doesn't happen until next year. So save this rent for okay. next year, Eugene, 2022, it, it and then you can. It applies across the board. Yeah, you want to see the best. You want the top 48. If there's 48 slots, you want to be the 48 fastest people, regardless of yeah. country. Yeah, but that's not what the Olympics are about. The Olympics are about what are the Olympics about? Mass participation amongst countries. It's about representing the entire world or getting as close as you can. I'm not saying So when you win when you, you win an also... Olympic title, when you win an Olympic title, are you like, I am the winner of a mass participation country award? No. You say you're the best in the freaking world and you beat everyone because... that was in the world. You don't say like I won the Olympics, aka, like the like the. Well, I don't even know what I'm saying, but like you know what I'm trying did to she, say. Yeah, is, I know, yeah, no, I don't know what she's saying. Listen, did she have a fair chance to get on the team? Do all these people have a fair chance to get on the team? I think they did. Yes, yes. Yeah, and it and didn't I'm, happen. So if I'm you can't, a, if if you can't be third in the U.S., then you're not there. If you can't be top three in your country, you can't be there. Is that going to exclude worthy, deserving people? Sure, but it also means that. The games go on without you, and you are able to say that you're the best in the world. It's it's two parts, right? It's crowning the best in the world, but it's also putting a little bit of balance towards making sure there's representation throughout the world. That's that's the goal. But it's, a, it's an athletic sit- competition, not a representation okay. competition. Well, it's it's but it's it's both in a way, right? I mean, you don't. I don't know. When you do high school competitions, things are broken down by sections and leagues and stuff like that too, right? That's about – you still say you're the state champion even though there was a, a person in your league who could have moved on and won your district and then moved on to state. Like there has to be a limitation at, at some point if you want some sort of diversity no, amongst Not all states like that. Some states, some states have auto times. But there's state, always people – well, let me don't get me started on Pennsylvania and their sports recent history. All right, let me just no. Uh, <laughs> I'm saying, you're what you want is like you have the Diamond League. That's what you have. Yeah. You have the Diamond League champion. So be happy with the Diamond League. That's what you're gonna get. It's different than the Olympics. I think the Olympics crowns the best person. Do they crown the best eighth place person? No, maybe absolutely not. not. Do they crown the best fifteenth best person? Probably not. And the perfect example is something like the marathon where you have a huge amount of people concentrated in one or two countries. Something like the 800, a little more spread out. If you look at like what countries are represented in the 800, it's globally yeah. diverse. So that's, that's a little bit different. But 
I like that you uh, came up with just a completely ridiculous. Uh, it's not ridiculous. Tra- I mean, Travis people isn't here to chat, clip this. I feel <laughs> like people in the chat probably agree with me, or maybe they don't. <laughs> I, I never read the chat, so I don't know. But uh, someone think- said, "Is Gordon the Gor- is Gordon the one in blue? Does he always say rubbish? That's what John just said. Good use of the word <laughs> rubbish that I like. I had to look down at my shirt. Okay, I'm wearing white, so I'm good. Uh, no, I listen. I agree in. I mean, anybody who looks at the world lists knows this. I looked it up this morning just because I was looking at the world rankings. I was just curious. I think 11 U.S. men are ranked higher in the 100 than the first Jamaican man. That's world rankings. That's not using times. But I think it would be somewhere yeah. close close to that, right? So you could play this game you know, all day. But then there was a time before when U.S. people would have been completely excluded from events too. So – I think it's a kind of a uh, fun part of the sport to track these sort of situations where people have disappointments at trials and then get on a plane right away and then just have yeah. at it in Europe. I mean, the obvious most recent example would have been Kenny Harrison in the high hurdles in the in 16 going and break yeah. the world record. Um, all right. <laughs> Adelia says Gordon has a very high view of the chat or low view. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, man. I like how you said people in the chat agree with me after not looking at the chat at all. That's a good yeah, call. I don't know. I'm just assuming. I'm just hoping. I'm, like, maybe. I'm, I'm, I'm clicking back and forth in the chat. Gordon doesn't look at the rundown. He doesn't look at the chat, guys. No, I don't uh, look at anything. I just look at you, Sh- Kevin. I just look at you. Siobhan also says, Gordon, we don't agree. <laughs> I think you just fired <laughs> up the people in the chat. They, right, they're whatever. taking offense to the fact you're trying to put uh, put um, words in their mouth. Uh Okay. Yeah. So we can talk about this in 2022 with, with okay, the world championship. Cool. I think it makes, I think Noted. here's what you should do for 2022. You should do a simulated Gordon championship. And here's the problem. And this is what we've seen with world rankings because we've had to do a deep dive because of the men's 1500 situation. Would you say the world rankings are the best way to rank people? I would say it's not like there's obviously Absolutely some not. serious. Yeah. So there's some serious flaws to it. So, how would you arrive at that 48 number is a good topic for a podcast 365 days. Well, I know, I know I could, I'm thinking about there's on the world rankings. There's like a person who says, email us for any suggestions or comments. We are open to, cause they're trying to do it. I know how to actually make the ranking actually make more sense because <laughs> we can get into it later in the pod, but there's a fundamental flaw in it, which I'm going to expose later on in the mm-hmm. pod. That can easily okay, be well, fixed. Easily be fixed. When you write the letter, just put on the last line, P.S., people in the chat agree with me about the <laughs> fix. Just say there that. So so they know that the people are are behind you. What other Oslo results stood out to you? You had uh, Yomif Kijelka going number seven all time in the 3K 726. Helen O'Beary, 1426. Uh, and Ailish McColgan broke the British record in the 5K running 1428. And then we got some sprint stuff. But did any other distant stuff stand out to you? No. I felt like it was kind of – was it kind of weird watching this track me after like watching like day after day yes. of like super intense pressure moments in track and now you're watching like a Diamond League and like there's no like – fear of losing yeah. in this race it's it just it was weird watching it it, it kind of had a it was a little bit of a, the most a letdown type track meet just because of all the anxiety and celebration that's in a, an olympic trials you could watch it you're right without any fear that something 
catastrophic was going to happen unless you were really a strong proponent of the old 400 meter world record in the hurdles and you wanted to hold (laughs) on to that but yeah yeah yeah. everything everything else was yeah it was toned down and you just you feel like it's a practice again or a preseason again a run through basically for what's to come later on i had the exact same feeling like my my heart was not uh beating as fast as it was during the trials but on the on the sprint side of things the grass pretty solid um gets the win 20.09 into a headwind i think he's going to be there when the time comes and obviously the three from the us you have to feel good about after last week but i think i think degrasse will will be in the mix for the medals just cuz he always figures out a way to do it Tolu ran 1091 and then femke bowl won the four hurdles 53.33 she's the best non us hurdler you do see you did see the gap so she gets a pr right but you just see the gap between Muhammad and McLaughlin and everybody else because Sydney's out here running 51s. Dillow is out here running 52 lows. And then you have the next best person running 53-3. Just kind of goes to show you how, how big of a chasm there is right now between the two best in world history, as it should be, as it should be, because they're the best two in world history. There are three things I want to talk about on this podcast that aren't have to do with the, the Oslo Diamond League. And I feel like we have 30 minutes, so I think we can spend 10 minutes on each subject. They are... Okay, you got it. Christine Go Boma. How do you say her last name? Mboma? How do you say her last name? I believe... I haven't heard it. Uh, I've heard a couple different pronunciations, but Boma, I believe. But yeah, Boma's 48 second, 400 meters, followed up with she's not running the 400 meters at the Olympics. I want to talk about world rankings and something that i kind of i'm not sure if it's cool or we'll see i don't know regardless and then also i want to talk about (laughs) the big news in the ncaa uh name image and likeness is now officially legal starting july 1st at the recording of this podcast and already i've seen on twitter hundreds of college athletes just starting to like sign deals Mm -hmm. people are going to third-party people to get merchandise deals and all this stuff we can dive into what, how that will affect running in NCAA next year. I've talked to a bunch of coaches and their immediate reactions. So we'll talk about that as well. But first, I want to talk about Christine. She went 48 seconds at, um, in Poland, it was. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Yeah. What, were your, what was gosh. your reaction when you saw, when you saw that, that mark? So 48, she had, I mean, yeah, world junior record. She just turned 18 uh, at the end of May. She had run some really fast 400s this year. You go and you look at her her profile page, and it wasn't until like earlier this year when she cracks 50, and now she's already down to 48, 48.5. Um, yeah, it was April 11th when she ran 49.28 um, at altitude. So I guess when she runs that, you're like, oh, okay. But when she runs at lower elevation, it won't be as fast. Her and Masalingi, her her teammate, have been have been tearing it up. She also ran. I don't know if people have seen the clip of that two hundred she ran in Prague. It was one of the weirdest two hundreds I've ever seen because she's so far behind, and then just flies the second two hundred, and then catches everybody. And in this race, it's forty eight five. I saw some splits. Did I lose you, Kevin? 
Yes. All right, everybody. Bye. Kevin, we lost I'm you for a second there. there, and it wasn't it uh -oh. wasn't my internet. It was your it was your internet. Continue. Listen, I got. Can you now, Gordon? I can hear you now. Can you hear me? Okay, I got yeah. kids in the other Good. instrument stuff. Otherwise, they're gonna walk through the door. So it's like they're streaming probably. And now they can't hear anything. Anyway, um, her two hundred, the two hundred. She started really fast in the four hundred. Um, so it was interesting, just the contrast in styles. She's not in the 400, Um, They both represent Namibia. It would be historic for Namibia. Frankie Fredericks uh, competed for them back in the day. I have an official word on why she's not in the race, why she's not in the 400. I'm, I'm sure people speculating based on um, what's happened in the past with athletes. But I, I don't want to get too far into that just without until we have, you know, final word of, of why. Um, she's not in the 400, but if she's just in the 200, I think she could be decent. Obviously, not as good because if she was 48, 48 5, she would have been able to be, be up there for a medal and contend with whoever is the best in the world. Yeah, I mean, you won 48 5 and you scratched the 400, you're not scratching it because you think you're better in another event. It's just this isn't like a thing, Mo being like, hey, I think I can get the 800 down because. Her 155, I would say, is now better than her 49 seconds, or 156 slow. But like, yeah, yeah. There, I, we don't know officially the reasoning. We can speculate the reasoning, but whatever it is, it's bullshit in my opinion. And I think she should be running the 400 because she's literally ran 48 seconds. And you look at now the descending order list of who's actually going to be in the yeah. women's 400 at the Olympics. It's no one. Like, there's no a thing, Mo. There's no. Sydney McLaughlin, no Delo Muhammad, no uh, Mumbo. No, no uh, is uh, Nasser's not there because she's she finally got suspended. doping suspended happening. You can just go on and list and list, and there's all these great 49 second runners who aren't going to be mm -hmm. in Tokyo. Uh, something's weird. Something's happening. Maybe I don't know, but I, I don't like it. I don't like it yeah. at all. I'm I'm, sh I'm I'm sure we'll get uh, an explanation probably before before Tokyo and we can dive into that more. So what's interesting too is after the US women ran really fast in the two hundred at trials and you're like, okay, if Miller Weibo had to choose between two, four or two, you're thinking, okay, she should go for the four. Then you see that Nasser's suspended for two years. You're like she should definitely go for the four. And then Mboma runs 48-5, and you're like, maybe she shouldn't go for the four anymore. Maybe she should go back to the two. And then now she's not in the four, and then maybe you're thinking she should go back to the four. Go back to so the four. <laughs> here, but here's where I'm landing. She should double, of course. And I wrote down what her schedule would be. This is Shawnee Miller-Webo's schedule if she doubled. On day four, she'd have a morning 200 round one, afternoon 200 round two. Day five, the next day, she'd have 400 round one. And then that afternoon, she'd have the 200 meter final. So day five, she'd have to run a 400 in the morning and then a 200 final at night. Day six, 400 round two. That's easy. Day seven, she would be off. And then day eight, 400 meter final. So basically, she'd have four races in two days and then two races in three days. Now, if you're of the mind that the 200 is going to be harder to medal in than the 400, well, this schedule is precisely backwards for that because 400 she'd get more rest going into so you'd probably want it flipped but i still think that's doable right 
I mean, how much energy is she expending in the first round of a 400 in the morning and then being able to come back in the afternoon to run a 200 meter final? I know I'm doing the thing that you always do, which leads to athletes all quadrupling, but she could cruise a 51 in the morning. She could on, on day five, she could cruise a 51 in the morning and then in the afternoon rip a 200, right? Like she's running it at 9:45 in the morning on Tuesday. And then the 200 meter final is nine, 10 o'clock at night, something like that. So 12 hours rest. I want to see it. Yeah. I mean, she's hundred percent not going to just only do the 200 because you have that four. I don't know. It's, I mean, I'm oh, all for yeah. doubles, no, no. man. I, I want, I want to see the, I want to see the double. I think it is possible. The question is, it's what she wants, right? We just don't know what she wants. I heard mm-hmm. somewhere that she's thinking about wanting to do the heptathlon next year. Do you have you heard really? that? Who told yeah. you that? Are you reporting this? Jojo told me. Oh, Did uh, she I don't know if this? I'm reporting it. Maybe she's Jojo. I don't know. I heard Jojo of BigTrackEnergy.substack.com. Is that the same Jojo? Yeah, I heard she might think about. She's married to a decathlon decathlete, right? Jojo is. So she'll just no, not Jojo. Shawnee Miller Weibo is okay. Okay, <laughs> so you kind of, it'll be like the inverse of what Daphne Shippers did. Yeah, Daphne and I was like, why did Daphne Shippers to two hundred? I think <laughs> maybe Shawnee's gonna go from two hundred to heptath. I don't know. Warholm started in the decathlon and was not as good as he is in the four meter hurdles, and said, "Hey, I can only do one event now and break a world record." I think if you're looking at gold medal odds now, based on all the information that I went through, you got to say four hundred is the better path. I still think yes. she's probably confident in the two because she's confident that she's beaten Dina Asher Smith before, but the combo of Jamaican, the Jamaican trio, if it is Frazier price, Thompson, hurrah, and Jackson, that's solid. The U S women, we saw what they did, namely Gabby Thomas. They can put some pressure on her versus the 400. It's not going to be as tough. Like if, if she, obviously if she breaks 49, she'd probably be well clear of anybody else. Yeah. So we'll see. We will see. Okay, so hold on. You got, hold on. We, we got yeah, some well. confirmation in the chat that the heptathlon has been talked about. So there you go. The chat got your back on that one, Gordon. So Thank you. Chat got my back. Hey, so you wanted to talk about these topics, but you didn't want to talk about Nasser and the suspension because we talked about that Yeah, before. we can talk about her too. Let's talk about a little about her. Well, no, I, mean, I want to keep you on your 10-minute schedule. We want to keep you on your Yeah, well, the thing about Nasser is like, we kind of already went over this, just another whereabouts type situation. I mean, it's not like anything new happened. It's basically she won her case and then she lost her. Then AIU and World Athletics basically won up to her and be like, well, we don't believe you. And then they won the, mm-hmm. the final case. So you, uh, it's, gotcha. it's a whereabouts thing. It's, it's all sketchy in my mind with yes or no. I think a lot, I think a lot of people who have these whereabouts failures are just, guilty of negligence and not really guilty of actually trying to dope. Um, and that's just like my take on all whereabouts failures is that, you know, they made a mistake, not a actual trying to, to get an advantage over the competition, but there also could be one person who actually is trying to do that and you never know. And that's why they have two year bans, but I really don't want to give much credence to this topic. I mean, it's like, all right. Yeah. It sucks for the sport because she just won a title and it's 
you're yeah. being banned after winning the title, but the title's not being taken away. They did mention that she was drug tested like almost 18 times leading up to that title. So but I don't get that. Because is of that, that a rule now? Is that a rule now? I don't know. Because what, what I thought was happens is she had, I know you don't want to get too much into this, so we're, I'll go yeah, quick. That's fine. And you'll, you'll just cut down your other two topics to eight minutes a piece. What I thought happened <sighs> is she had the three missed tests pre, pre Doha, right? But she was appealing them. So it was still under debate, right? They were still going back and forth. She was presenting evidence and she was allowed to present her case. Okay, that happened. Doha wins gold, but then gets a fourth one. And then they hit her with the, the suspension. But then when she appeals the suspension, I thought at least one of those got thrown out because it was a situation where they had the wrong address and they ended up knocking on what they thought was her residence. And it turned out to be a room that was just filled with gas canisters at some sort of apartment complex or something. So then they threw that one out. So I was thinking the one that they threw out was pre-Doha, which meant there was only two whereabouts failures pre-Doha. And then the other one was post-Doha. But then they shot out, they, they put this info out that's like, oh, she had been drug tested 19 times. So like, we're going to let her keep her medal. But like, since when has that been a rule? Yeah. That like the fact that you've passed a bunch of tests can override the fact that you had suspensions. I mean, if there's a clear explanation, please, I would love to hear it. But it seems like that is just something that is is new to this case. And you just don't want to get into the sticky situation of reallocating medals or stripping medals. Um, yeah. It's yeah, a I think a big factor is because it's, it's a whereabouts strange. failure, not a positive test. I think that's the difference. Whereabouts failures are kind of treated differently as, as positive tests. Um, there's a lot more lenience in them because it's a, it's not an okay. actual proof of doping. It's just proof of suspected doping, which is but different, gotta, I guess. I don't know. What's the, what's the rule? Like we need a rule. There are no and rules, man. They don't call you. They do this. They do that. You get move this from the beginning of the quarter to the back of the quarter. It's all bullshit. I mean, you see suspensions go from four years to two, from two to 18 months. So you get one extra world championship in. It's all bullshit. It's all not oh. normal. It's all all over the place. It's You see people easily get away with it. You see people easily not get away with it. You see people who they knocked on their door while they literally were competing at a world athletics event, but because they didn't update the app, the test that they took at the World Athletics event didn't count. They, they had to be in their room from across the country that they forgot to update. You see people who uh, got whereabouts failure because they literally were visiting the White House and didn't update it. There's all this stuff. You have people who are facing a five-year ban who can still run in the Olympic trials, and but then other people who can't. It's all all over the place. And because of that, I refuse to have any trust in truth or fiction fact or lie i don't know it's all stupid i just want to watch track wow. and field and not talk about bullshit whereabouts failures another time in my life and, and with that gordon's gonna talk about your world athletics rankings go <laughs> ahead do you I'm i mean do you have anything else you want to say do you have anyone i don't know I mean, I agree with some of that and I disagree with some of it, but it's a much longer conversation okay, cool. that we have time for right now. So I'll let you proceed. I just don't I want people thinking that I agree that I'm, I, I, yeah, I want people to know that I don't condone a lot of what Gordon said, but I also want to move on. There you go. That sounds good. So uh, the final world rankings came out uh, two days ago. 
Um, Cole Hawker's in, so all that talk. What could he get in? Not in. He was in. He was. It never. It never became close. But there was something interesting that happened, um, and I kind of just have an issue with it. So Nick Willis, and not I have an issue with it for not the reasons that you might think. So Nick Willis, at the last minute, was able to get the Music City Track Carnival. The level of that meet changed from an F rating to a C rating. And what that means is, it's like, what? So what that means is the he ran 338 in the race and finished third. If it was an F rating, he would have gotten like, I can do the quick math. He would have gotten 1,133 points for that performance. But because it got changed to a C rating. He then got 1,173 points. So he got an extra 40 points. And those that extra 40 points basically changed his average of his best five performances enough to bump him to the 45th slot. He was like in the 47th or 48th. But that change made mm-hmm. him become, instead of the 49th best athlete ranked athlete, the 45th. And the fact that that can happen, I think it's stupid. Nick explained it on Twitter that this was all re- people went into the meet thinking it was going to be a C race, a C category race. The reason why it was F was because of paperwork, of delay. So it's not like he found a meet and quickly churn- turned it into a C race. It was already going to be a C race. It just didn't become one until after the fact, which is fine, whatever. But just that fact that we're mm-hmm. all of a sudden going to be like, you know, I ran 338. And because they offered prize money, uh, it's a little better than you when you ran 338 over there where they didn't give prize yeah. money. And yeah. all this is like, it's just mind boggling. Check this out. Check this out. But doesn't it Nick go both Willis. ways? No, it no, go both no, ways? no. So, like, Nick, Will- Nick, there were Nick some Willis. People- Nick- go ahead. Oh, I, I want to say, ahead. hold on. Nick Willis, in January of 2020, got second at the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix, running 359 in a mile. 359.89. A time that, you know, 50 college kids at least break every year. And he got second in the race. He got 1,251 points for that. Cole Hawker, who just ran 335, beat the Olympic champion and won the Olympic trials in a race. For that performance, he got 1,271 points. The fact that they're that close, the fact that it's only 20 points better, you know, I mean, I could I could pick up an, I could pick his 350 mile. It's basically showing like why was a 359 mile at New Balance Grand Prix considered so amazing? It's because World Athletics said this meet has been anointed as holy and therefore all marks, whether you're running, jumping, or throwing, that are done in this facility on this date are considered amazing. And it's bullshit because the location and date and venue – all that stuff means nothing about the legitimacy of a performance. 
what makes the performance legitimate is who's in the field, not the name of the meet. And that's what I don't like about these rankings. The rankings give no credence to who you beat. The only thing they care about is, or who you lose to, for that matter, the only thing they care about is the prestigeness of the meet. Now, I could argue, I could, I could understand the prestigeness of Olympics and world championships is understood. But prestige. this whole like A, the prestige, but this whole A, B, C, D, E, F level of trying to kind of rate all these meets, you just can't do. You cannot say winning the South Korean 1500 is the same thing as winning the Olympic trials because they're both happen to be national championships. It's just mm -hmm. not true. What they should do is they should look at who was in the final of the Korean national championship, who was in the final of the U.S. national championship, and use the ratings of the athletes that were in that final and use, hey, you beat these eight people. That is more impressive than beating these eight people in this national championship. So therefore, you should get more credit. And they don't do that because it is a lot more complicated. Just They just have this idea that anointing a meet as great Therefore, you're ranking. Now, this is all kind of not that big of a deal now. I'm going to end the rant here. Because, you know, 70% of the people who, who are going to the Olympics got the standard, which is like the old system. And the final 30% that got in on world ranking, the amount of people that could have got in or not in is small, right? Of like, if it was time, maybe I would have got in instead of the world ranking guy. It's very, we're splitting hairs. But, but, big but, I think World Athletics wants more people to get in on ranking. And I could see a situation where in a few, five years, only 10% or 20% of the people who go to Worlds got in on having the world standard. And the other 80% was because of their World right. Athletics official world ranking. And that's scary yeah. because... It means, hey, as long as you get to go to those A-level meets and run a 359 mile, you're good. Like, it's, it shouldn't yeah. be that way. It should be about who you beat. Again, none of this rant has to say that Nick Wills doesn't deserve to be in the Olympics. He does. His explanation made sense. The, he was, he's playing by the rules. Yeah, I have no, yeah. uh, no disappointment in that. I just think that that moment kind of showed that it's all bullshit. That it's just like, hey... You, 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 you signed up, you told World Athletics about your meet and you gave a certain amount of prize money. So therefore, winning that race is amazing. And it's just like, no, winning a race is amazing based on who you beat, not based off the, the name of the meet. And that's just, all right. that's all I got to say about that. This has been the Gordon right. Rant special. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Take, take, take it, take 10 seconds and then go on about uh, name, image, you, and likeness because. Do you agree or disagree? Do you agree or disagree with uh, what I'm saying? I think, yeah, Nick Willis and everybody else is playing by the rules that were set out. They didn't make the rules, and his job is to yeah. interpret them and give himself the best possible chance to qualify. Just as getting that meat upgraded or getting a lot of points from a 359 mile, I'm sure there's people ahead of him on the list that also benefited from some performances yeah. that weren't as good as people farther down on the list. So I don't think we could just cherry pick one or the other. I think. 
if you are going to create a ranking system and have something that's time plus, the obvious thing is head to head. Who do you beat in these races? But then you have to figure out the value of each person that you beat, which is a bit of circular logic because then how do you determine who's ranked high? Do you just use their PBs at that point and then don't worry about what other meets that they've run in? Because you could say, oh, they he beat the Boston Indoor Champion, Boston Indoor Games Champion, but the Boston Indoor Games Champion ran 359 and it's just not it's not as impressive as beating, you know, yeah. Matthew Centrowitz, who might have been opening his season. So maybe you create just a a point value bait. You just say, hey, this is going to be imperfect, but it's, it's going to be better than the old system. Here's your if your PR is this, this is your point value. And when you beat a person like that, you get more points. And when you lose to people below you, right, then then they they are helped and they they get bumped up. Um, that seems to make the most sense because when this thing was rolled out, people are said, and I think they're correct, this is just going to be a basically a competition of who has the best agent who can get you into these meets and and know how to know how to work the system to get you in that right spot. And you're right, we didn't see it as much this year. But I mean, say they drop the women's 100 standard to 1095 or something in the future, right? Or 358 yeah. in the 1500, which there's no rule that says they can't do that, then you're going to have a lot of more a lot more people qualifying based on ranking. I was kind of fine with the old way, to be honest, now that I, I'm sure back then I said they need to fix this. But now I just not I guess Hawker wouldn't have gotten in right in the old way. So that would have been a no, mess. But it would have but the, the, it would have changed. This the whole argument season, is Hawker right? Hawker would have tried to got in. He would have he would yeah. he he would have done another last minute try to run sub three thirty five. Yeah. And I think right. he would have like, gotten it based on the way he yeah. ran. I think. If he got a time trial in May, he probably would have ran sub three thirty-five. Or just let just let countries who have had, you know, if they have as that many people have the standard, then they can send who they want. And the U.S. has come up with the trial yeah. system, so they basically can say, "Hey, we're subbing out Josh Thompson, who had the standard for Cole Hawker, for example, something like that." Okay, yeah. name, image, and likeness. You want to so go through and say officially, this, yeah. yeah. They, and say officially announced that name image and likeness is now legal or not. It was already legal. It's now allowed under the NCA bylaws. Uh, they put out a press release talking about it. And immediately, not only are kids now like getting involved with name image and likeness, but the schools, you see LSU put out like a hype trailer about, and it's called NILSU. So it's like about promoting like these schools are like really leaning in it. Yeah. Texas did like a big thing about trying to like help these athletes with their branding. Uh, so the schools recognize, hey, we need we can't like be like against it. We need to be like in front of it, which is great because that means even more kids are going to find ways to monetize their names, their image and likeness. And you see a lot mm -hmm. of people already getting many deals here and there, football players, basketball players, et cetera. And the first thing I think about is, because we're a flow track running podcast, how will this affect NCA running? And the thing about when you go pro and running is you're not really, you're not like going pro isn't like you're getting paid by a team for your athletic performance. You're signing an endorsement deal, which is basically the same mm -hmm. thing as signing an endorsement deal with Cliff Bars, right? Hey, I'm Gordon, eat Cliff Bars, this promo code below. That's the same thing as saying, hey, I'm Gordon. I love Nike spikes. Click this promo code below. 
And so yeah. there is a theoretical possibility that an athlete could have a pro deal with a, with a shoe company and still be NCAA eligible. I talked to some coaches uh, immediately as this was happening. I got a variety of perspective of what it means. Some people were like, oh, no, you, you can't do it. But then by the end of the conversation, they were like, actually, you might be able to. And they were like, mm -hmm. oh, they don't know yet, right? Because it has never been done. But the main thing is a pro contract. The only thing in a pro contract that would break the NCA rules is if in the contract that has performance-based incentives, because then you're being paid for your athletic performance. But if it all it is, it's like, we're giving you $50,000 to wear Nike, that has yeah. nothing to do yeah. with your performance. So if these kids are gonna want to have their cake and eat it too, AKA be in the NCAA and get paid for a running apparel, they just need to make sure their contracts don't have the phrase, don't have performance bonuses. And maybe bonuses. you yeah. say, yeah. time bonus, or maybe you say like, hey, I will renegotiate a contract once I graduate and then add the time bonuses in for like the second year of the contract or whatever. But Well, and you'd have to have it yeah. jive with the school sponsor as well too, I would guess, especially if it's a footwear company. I don't think- Yes and no. I don't, no, they can't. You think they're going to let them run? Cooper Tier is no, going to be endorsing Adidas? No, they, he can endorse Adidas. He just can't wear Adidas spikes at practice or- at competition, but he could row run in Nikes, win a NCAA cross country title, and then go home on his Instagram and be like, maybe I wore Nikes, but guess what? These Adidas spikes, they're so much better and show that. He could I mean, do that. I don't know. They, they still have to, there's still a lot they got to figure out here because I know different states have different laws with this and some states have no laws about it and those are going to turn into the Wild West until there are, until there's actual legislation but i know in some circumstances it still needs to be approved like it's got to be approved and go through the school and that's where i would think you'd run into a roadblock with that situation now if it was a energy bar or a sports drink or an existing or a sunglass company where the school did not have a conflicting sponsor i don't think that would be any any sort of issue here are the questions i have or the thoughts well the you thing ready? is the conflicting sponsor thing though i feel like that only applies when you're on like in the capacity of being an athlete for them. Like there's what's stopping a, a kid who runs at a school that is Nike wear Brooks shoes all summer long, like, and Instagram it out. Like as long as Brooks is okay with them only wearing Nike stuff when they're in their uniform, as long as they're like, Hey, we're, I mean, probably it's not a good look for Brooks. Cause it'd be like, what are we doing? But you can't prevent someone from wearing Under Armour flip-flops just because you go to a Nike well, school. Well, I'm saying there's different laws around this. Like Texas, for example, they can't get deals with alcohol, drug, gambling companies. Alabama, yeah. you have to have approval from the school. There was an example in a, I think it was an ESPN article about the, where is it? The football player who uh, his shoe was famous. Was it the LSU Alabama game? Um, someone can correct me. The guy, oh, threw, yeah. the guy, the other player threw his shoe and got yeah, the, the shoe. Yeah, got yeah. the penalty. Yeah. And in this article, they basically said, "Oh man, he'd get paid a lot for that shoe, right? He could go home and auction the shoe off now to a fan, 
and get paid. But the article says, however, in some states, Taylor, that's a football player, will be restricted from immediately entering into such contracts. And one of the most notable differences among state laws, some require athletes to have their ventures approved before they're executed. It could mean uh, athletes missing out on income derived from viral marketing sensations like Taylor's shoe. And I'm assuming if things need to get approved, part of that would be making sure you don't run afoul of existing sponsorship deals. But anyway, that aside, I think the majority of the stuff is going to come from smaller deals and online stuff and influencer yeah. campaigns. Because as we can see, Matt Bowling's got 200,000 Instagram followers. Yeah. Track, and field track and field athletes – and you see this in some of these examples of these articles. This is not just about football and basketball. You could be on the tennis team and have a gajillion TikTok followers, right? Because it's more about the personality that you've cultivated and the, the brand that you've created throughout the years. Like tons of women's basketball players have huge followings on social media. So it's not just confined to the sports that you'd think about in terms of the money-making sports. It's just the people who have – yes, they're athletes and they're very, very good – but they're also creating interesting content. content. Yeah, doing interesting things that make them desirable for sponsors, just as if, you know, some random sophomore in the dorms who's not in sports is doing, right? But my questions are is this going to lead to college kids being paid more than like pro runners in certain circumstances? Because college runners can reach a level of fame close to some pro runners in the US. They really, they, you know, they can almost reach cult-like cult status, right? Like, because they're winning a bunch, they're on TV, or they have a lot of exposure, right? Now you add in the fact that companies are going to be really likely to work with them because of their sway over the key demographic that they want, maybe in a way that a pro athlete is not. And if they've already spent all this time getting a big social media presence, a lot easier to cash in on that than someone who is just a regular old 27 year old pro athlete. And then on the flip side, Gordon, are more athletes going to stay in the college system because they're going to be able to get paid and they're going to get the best of both worlds. They're going to get access to all the facilities now, right? Paid travel. Even if they're paid travel, you have the benefit of all these schools are saying we're going to have social media coaches and brand builders and I don't know, there's gonna be like a hype house or something in Austin, I bet, with all these these athletes, because they're all falling over themselves figuring out how to use this to the recruiting advantage. So you can have all that help and they're gonna be able to have the money that wouldn't necessarily be there when you turn pro for the reasons I meant mentioned before, right? So you have you know very successful 20-year-old runner who's going to college and is able to win races and has uh, a following on campus is going to be more desirable in a lot of cases to to a company than someone who is not in in college, not in that circumstance. Now, the big thing is the kid still has to want to go to school and want to go to class. Yeah. But assuming they want to get a degree, this opens up a whole bunch of new options for them. And I think because I was thinking about this, what are some ways that athletes get runners get paid or pro runners get paid for the college runners who get paid for. So you can talk about all those different small sponsorships, like the energy gels, like the sunglasses, like the watches. And then you talk about the summer camps that they could appear at and show up to and give speeches. I mean, appearance fees, right? Or is that, would, would appearance fees be 
off the like w- would that be not it can't allowed? Be for your, it can't be for your athletic performance. Okay, so they so can't you, pay an athlete to go to the Milrose games and race, you're saying. But they can pay an athlete to or maybe you have to like say we're paying you for just an appearance and then you just happen to want to enter the meet. You can type thing. Like you only can be paid for your likeness, not your athletic performance. Okay. So it's this is all stuff area, that needs right? Right. so this is all stuff that needs to be to be figured out. Uh, someone in the chat asked about Hobbs Kessler. Now, the deal went into place today and Hobbs Kessler already went pro. So I'm guessing he would be stuck with the old rules there. Now he did sign what company did he signed with Gordon? What company did Adidas. He Adidas. So and he was Adidas. I I really do think, I mean, he also again Hobbs might be a unique situation because he is still planning on going to NAU. Like he is still planning on enrolling. Yeah. So he'll be academically eligible because he'll be actually in the school. Um, the one question is like the rules of agents. Like if you, if you have an agent, yeah. does that mean you're now ineligible? But track and field agents, all they are doing is getting you a name, image, and likeness deal. And it said in the NCAA uh release let me bring it up sorry we don't have our producer here because we normally would uh show you what Later it says but here. yeah we, where, where 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 are you boom so it said individuals can use a professional can use professional service provider for nil activities could you yeah. argue that total sports is basically a professional service provider for giving you a name image likeness deal with Adidas? Mm-hmm. Well, right? And listen to this. Well, listen to this. Listen to this part. This is this is from the uh, this is from the Sports Illustrated article by Ross Dellinger. Uh, another pressing question. How much involvement can a school have in facilitating a school in NIL deals? In the NCAA's original legislation, programs were strictly prohibited from such, but the minimal, minimalist proposal past Wednesday isn't as clear. At least six state laws are silent on an institution's involvement, presumably making such activity permissible. That's the school. That's the school facilitating the deals. So we've gone from a complete, we've gone a complete 180 here from if you eat a grilled cheese sandwich and you didn't pay for it yourself, you could be at risk of losing your eligibility to now schools could possibly be helping you set up deals for your name, image, and likeness to get money. And, yeah. you know, the examples, like the, there's the Iowa basketball player, right, who's showing up and endorsing something at a like, fireworks stand, right? And then football player who is a country music uh, musician, and now he's going to be able to get paid for his concerts and use his real name now. Like there's stuff um, all over the place, but the biggest stuff that they say that's going to happen now is the online stuff because it's super easy. They can sign a bunch of – these companies can sign a whole bunch of people with one fell swoop. They can get a bunch of influ- – like. The word influencer like applies so strongly to yeah. athletes on college campuses because you have a, a huge student body and you have a few that stick out and these are the few and you're able to put money in their pocket. I think you're going to see a lot, a lot, a lot of people signing these deals with these online marketing companies to push stuff through social media and they're going to sign whatever, 10 people per campus or 20 people per campus across a bunch of different sports just to try to reach the max amount of people. We've also seen bigger companies already get involved, right, as well too, but those ones will probably be 
a bit smaller, just as you're mentioning, shoe deals would probably be a bit smaller and a bit bit more rare. But you could cobble together some stuff. And if you're talking about people like Tara Davis or Matt Bowling with these huge followings on social media, it's not hard for people to figure out and it's not hard for people to quantify how much money you could make them, right? They look at your followers. They've done the math. They know if you post this amount of times, they can get this sort of return on their investment. So every, you know, it's, it's going to be the wild west now for a little bit until this all gets sorted out and everybody figures out how the rules work in each state. So I, I would say the odds of Hobbs Kessler being able to figure out a way to restructure his deal so that doesn't have like a performance based and all that stuff might be a little too complicated. But I do want to think about three notable athletes, Yaron Nagus, Cole Hawker, and Cooper Tier. All of them are still NCAA eligible. They are not pro athletes. And they've all proven that they are going to be qualified for a legitimate shoe deal when they decide to go pro. Even Cooper yeah. Tier, even though he didn't make the team, he has shown that he is pro worthy. Um, and a lot of you, you can, I could see a situation for especially distance athletes where like they want to go pro, but they just want cross country. Like especially Yaron Goose. he has said so many times he really wants to come back for cross country season to try to improve their second place finish to win a Loves team title. Team. And if you really think about it, for a running athlete. The fall is the off season anyway, where you're just putting yeah. in miles. Training for a cross country season is not going to affect your 2022 summer, spring, and summer performances. So, yeah, I you could see a legitimate re- way that Hawker and Tier sign Nike contracts, and they're allowed to still compete in cross country for Oregon. Do you have fun one last cross country, the final season, one last cross country season for Oregon? Maybe they win an individual title or team title. Nagus could do the same thing for whoever he signs with, gets to do cross country. So you're getting paid through that fall. And then once that semester's over, you're done with classes. Now you take off and say, see ya, I'm not doing indoor. I'm uh, going to do my own thing. Like it's just, and if you even think about it, it's also maybe even cheaper for a, a, uh, for a shoe company to let the athletes stay in college because what difference does a 21-year-old college kid have during fall, winter, and spring that a pro has? So a pro fall, winter, spring, distance-wise, fall, they're doing nothing. College kid, they're exposed and they're, on, they're doing cross-country. Indoor, well, the pro and the college kids are just going to the same meets anyway. They're going to Milrose. Yeah. They're going to BU. They're going to the exact yeah, same yeah. minutes. Spring. It's Europe. It's Europe. They're, they're, but Europe doesn't really start till summer anyway. It doesn't well, really start saying. till yeah. after NCNCs anyway. So I'm saying the whole really year is, is the only difference. Yeah. Yeah. There's no difference. So you might as well be. And then you wouldn't have to pay for any. The Nike wouldn't have to pay for Cole Hawker's travel. For an entire yeah. like eight months before Europe, right? So it's like, hey, yeah, let right. Oregon pay for all the travel, and then once you're done, then you can come and we'll pay for your Europe travel, and then we'll be free. So I, I think the question is happening. with got with athletes like that, or an a thing mo where you're looking at what would you say at the low end? Well, a good deal, right? They would be getting yeah. the best the best possible types of deals out there. People like Hawker and a thing mo. Can you make up for it in these other 
ways monetarily. And because you dismiss the performance bonuses thing, but that could be a huge incentive, right? That could dramatically increase the amount of money that they're getting paid. So how do you weigh that versus the stuff I talked about before of, okay, being able to still train, compete on the team and have all the access to resources, be still part of that network. My question is, I would want to talk to, I don't mean, I don't normally want to talk to these people, but I want to talk to like a brand hashtag brand person and ask them what's more hashtag value for them. Is it like a middling college, not a middling college, runner, but like a good college runner who's goes to a large university or is it, or is there more value in that person as like a, like who's a little bit better and as a pro? Yeah. I mean, the whole value in running deals is all over the place. It's not purely just you're the fastest. So you get the most it's there's the age factor. There's the, the, the fame level of that person. Like I'm yeah. sure Grant Holloway got a better deal than Daniel Roberts because Grant Holloway had won multiple titles and just had the better fame, even though you could argue coming out, they had like this similar PBs, right? But mm-hmm. the difference mm-hmm. in their PBs was probably not equal to the difference in their, their contracts at that yeah. time, right? Um, yeah. It just seems like you can cobble together. Like if you're going to an appearance at a running shoe store and you have three or four products that you're – able to endorse or, you know, small products. And there's some university wide initiative that you're a part of because you're the team's number one track athlete. How much does that amount to? That's the question that I would want to know. And that would help to figure out like where this is going and if it's going to be something that really shakes up the landscape for running. I'm talking about for running track and field and cross country, or is it just going to be a nice little, add-on and an incentive for those because if you think about it getting all those followers is like a job right that's like work to do that yeah so instead of instead of going to work at the campus bookstore or something they're working on this stuff and then now they can be compensated for it because the way you get compensated for it in in a lot of these cases is by profiting off your name image and likeness so in a way, it's just allowing them to to get paid for the labor of creating a, a social presence. But I, I wonder just how much and is that enough when Nike comes to you and says, all right, we're going to pay you $150,000, but you need to move to Beaverton, Oregon to be part of this training group. So you need to leave college. Are you going to be like, mm, I don't know. I kind of like my 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 Axe body spray ads that I that I do on social media, right? I don't know. Like there's money and then there's money. Basically, there's a, there's like stipend type money and then there's like career type money. What about like an investment type? Let's say someone like Caitlin Tui and Nico Young. They both run out of Adidas schools right now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. None of them are really seen as going pro right now type athletes, but they both are famous names in the sport right now. Mm-hmm. Would it make sense for like someone like Adidas to be like, hey, we'll give you $25,000 next season. All you got to do is, you know, tweet Adidas a lot and do whatever and yeah, yeah, yeah. have whatever, right? It's not going to affect their, they're already running, wearing Adidas clothes. 
but they're just getting a check for $25,000. And then when they eventually are ready to leave school, whether it's in one year, two years, three years, they already have that relationship with Adidas. And now they're like, all right, I'm, I want to go all, I, I, this has been good to me. They've given me $75,000 in my three years in college. You know what? I'm willing to go with them instead of Nike for my actual pro contract that has performance incentives. And you I mean, you look mm. that, you could argue maybe but, that worked with someone like Sydney McLaughlin. New Balance was yeah. really in on Sydney during her high school days with yeah. New Balance Nationals. They really wanted to work that relationship, and it turned out that yeah. her connection with New Balance probably was a little bit of a factor, as opposed to just Nike coming in and being like, "Here's money, take it or leave it." You know, so you could see maybe just, it's you're grooming them just, to be like, "Stay with us." I just wonder though, doesn't the the shoe company gets a lot of that for free right now? So are they going to pay for it? Sure, they're not tweeting hashtag Adidas is the greatest, but like every picture of them running because they're wearing the gear and wearing the shoes. Well, unless you're painting over the shoes, but like is Adidas. So it's in a way it's an ad. And that's the reason why they spend all this money to sponsor these universities, whether or not it's Under Armour or Nike or Adidas or whomever, like you're getting a lot of that already. What you're talking about, I get it. It's more direct. It's more explicit. And and that's why it would be, it's going to be interesting to see what they do. Like, is it worth it to pay that extra money to get that next possible step? Because when I read this stuff, like, Oh, in a lot of places, universities aren't prohibited from coordinating this stuff. Well, wouldn't they just go through their list of sponsors that they already have for the university and be like this athlete. Okay. We're going to pair you with this sponsor, this athlete, you're gonna pray with this sponsor and on and on and on and on. And then you're done. Yeah. That's what, that's how I, that's how I read it. Maybe it's more complex, but if the schools are actually involved in it, wouldn't they just continue to work with, and in addition to other sponsors, you could still get sponsored by the running shoe store or some something online, but those ones would be seemingly already partners for the university. It's just so weird that we're at this spot right now compared to how strict it used to be. And now it's basically like, no rules, just figure it out, guys. There's no, there's no, I read these articles. There's no enforcement mechanism, Gordon, with a lot of this stuff. There's literally no enforcement mechanism in some of these states. You thought it was idea. crazy before? Oh, God. All right. Time to log off. No, this is a really good idea. All right. We got this two minutes. Way you, Colt's got to go. We could, we could find a way to like crowdsource prize money for college kids now. Like say, say we're on the, doing this podcast and we have like the little donation thing that happens on the YouTube channel. And we say all the money that we raise on this podcast is going to go to whoever wins NCAA champs and cross. And we will give them a sponsorship deal for their name, image, and likeness in on December 1st. And it's like little, it's like, you know what it is, but like, it's like. You're paying for prize, performance. Could, but you're, yeah, but you know, you're not, money, you're like, not. no, we, we just, uh, just, they just happen to win. That's who we happen to choose to, to mm -hmm. sponsor you can't as long as it's not explicitly said like in contract that the only reason you're getting it is because you're one it could just be like yeah you can't legislate underground under table handshakes i don't know anyway so much to talk about it's gonna be fun i'm excited i can't wait to see college kids make that money it's gonna be great well the creativity is gonna be off the charts because we're just yeah. talking about one small slice and you're talking about 18 to 22 year olds who 
always come up with ways to create new new ways of doing things, right? Then they're in college, they're surrounded by a bunch of creative people. So what we're talking about is probably just scratching the surface of what's actually going to happen. It's just the horse is out of the barn now completely. And they're trying to chase something that they're not, they're not going to be able to catch when it comes to enforcement. Cause I'm reading this stuff and so many of the States don't have anything set up the States that do a lot of it. Again, there's no, no real clear enforcement mechanism. I mean, it's going to impact recruiting, right? Which school are you going to go to the one that's going to help you get paid and grow your brand or the one that has all these super strict laws. So I think eventually everything is going to go the way of whatever the least, the lowest level of enforcement right now, because people are going to realize they're losing out on, on athletes because of the way their NIL legislation is written until there becomes nationwide legislation, which they said is a ways, a ways away. Uh, Okay. That's it for this edition. Gordon, uh, next week, you're going to be man in the ship. We're going to have some guests, I think. Do you want to go through the schedule now or when are you going to be coming to uh, Schedule, week? we'll figure it out. I'm not going to go through the schedule now, but we'll do three podcasts Podcasts next week, three the mm-hmm. week after. Some may not be live. Some may be live. I'll figure it out. It's going to be wild. Just enjoy content. Okay. Enjoy the 4th of July weekend. Yep. Barbecue. I'm going to go kayak on the river, watch fireworks. Be good times. Okay. All right. Thanks to Cole for producing, as always. You might see me next week because I might record some interviews this week and post them up next week. But until next time, see you guys. Bye.